Open your Bibles this morning, if you would, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. It's been a blessing to sing with you all this morning. What a great hymn we just sang, isn't it? Let me ask you another question. Would you rather have Jesus and would you rather be had by Jesus? There's a difference, you know. Do you want to be had by Jesus? I think that's another question we have to ask ourselves. I'd I'd rather not only have Him, but I would rather be held by Him than anything that this world could offer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we read His Word and then we'll jump into verses 31 to 36 this morning. Lord, help us now. This is Your Word. And has been prayed so many times before. What we do not know, teach us. What we cannot see, show us. And what we do not have, would You give us? By the same grace that revealed this Word. So now let it affect and infect our hearts and our lives at every level. For the glory of God alone we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. You remember, for context, beginning in verses 22 and following, Jesus and His disciples enter into the land of the Anon and they're baptizing with John the Baptist there as well. There is a complaint among John's disciples about Jesus, as it were, and Somewhat of a territorial discussion ensues. And John has ended for us in verse 30 by saying, He must increase, meaning Jesus must increase in the fullness of His ministry and others recognizing Him for who He is. But I must decrease. And now in the verses for our consideration this morning, in verses 31 to 36, John gives us the reason that is true. John tells you why it is that Christ must increase and you, believer, must decrease. He who comes from above, he says, is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. When people come and they speak to you, the weight and the significance of what they say to you depends largely upon who they are. The same is true in Scripture. If Jesus does not possess the intrinsic authority 
that he possesses as coming from heaven, as being God, then everything that he has to say means little or nothing. It's who he is that gives what he says its power. He does not speak as a mere teacher of truth. He is truth. He does not simply speak on behalf of authority as an ambassador would. He is the authority. And thus these verses give us a clear picture of why it is that John has said, He must increase and I must decrease. Why? Because Jesus is who He is. Our exaltation of Jesus, our submission to Jesus, our our bringing ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, must increase. If you are a child of God, Christ must increase and you must decrease. And so we see this morning that everything Jesus has said and everything that Jesus will say throughout the rest of this Gospel is predicated on His supreme authority revealed here in this passage. And so this morning I want to invite you to look at the excellencies of Jesus Christ with me. The excellencies of Jesus Christ that form His authority, His supreme authority in all of time and in our lives. As John opens this particular portion of his Gospel, he begins by extolling and lifting up the excellency of Christ's source of authority. Would you look at that with me in verse 31? He who comes from above is above all. He who comes from above is above all. A source John unequivocally states as being from above is the same source that Jesus says is is the, the power and the authority and the place of our own prayer life. Jesus teaches us that the authority is above. That the power is from on high. Christ is from above. When his disciples go to him in Matthew chapter 6, and they say, Lord, we want to know how to pray. Then why do you think they would say such a thing? I'll tell you why they said such a thing. Because Jesus demonstrated such a thing. By his own life, by his own prayers, he demonstrated the authority that is from above, that is in heaven. And he says, then pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. The the place of authority. And now John tells us, listen, the reason He has to increase, the reason you have to decrease, is simply this. He is from above. He is from that place. He is from the place of sovereign rule and sovereign reign where there is no threat to His position or His person. It's a place from which life flows. In fact, would you look back with me in this same chapter to verses 3 and 7. Not 3 through 7, but 3 and 7. The same word is used here in verse 31 as is used in 3 and 7. 
When John writes this, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, it's the same word for above, unless one is born from above by the sovereign authority and power that is above. Verse 7, do not be amazed to you, uh, be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again or literally born from above, born from that place above where all authority, all power, all life comes. So it's not a stretch to say that this is the place that is not only a higher place, but the place from which everything is made new. The place from which everything comes and springs forth from the mind of God and from the power of God and from the decree of God. It all comes from above. Why does it come from above? Because God is there. Because it's the place where God dwells. Because this is where Jesus comes from as God. He he exists there as a distinct, superior, and excellent God. John says, He who comes from above is above all. There's nothing that rises to His equal. There is nothing that will overshadow Him. He is overshadowed by none. He is the source of literally everything else. He is above all. He is the fullness of the Godhead in Himself. He is the radiance of the Godhead. Read Colossians chapter 1. That is who Christ is. That is the source of why He can do what He does. Why he can say what he says because of where he is from. His perspective then is unquestionably broad. His knowledge is complete. He he doesn't lack anything. He is complete in every area. We don't give a lot of time and a lot of thought to this, but Let me just give you a morsel to chew on in the week to come. All that God is, all that is in God, as God, is everywhere present in every one of its attributes, in every one of His attributes, in all of their fullness, in every place, without contradiction or being diminished in any way, everywhere. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is. There are places that God exists in who He is, in all of His attributes, in all of His power that we don't even know about. And yet God is there. And God exists as the sovereign creator and authority over all. And He's not diminished in any way. He is God and He is complete, lacking nothing. So is Christ. Everything that Jesus is, everything that He does, everything that He reflects is that high, perfect, and complete demonstration of who God is. He is from above. He is God. He is completely different than men. Completely different than men. He is one who is 
from above. By contrast, the very best of men are still men at best. But not Jesus. Jesus is above all because He is from above. This is one of the great dangers of humanity to think that somehow God is like us in the sense that He's like us completely. He came made under the law. He came clothed in human flesh. But Jesus Christ is not like you in the sense that He's common. That He is your buddy. He's the friend of sinners, but He is not common. He is not profane. He is from above. He is unique in that way. He is above all. He is above all. And that includes John the Baptist. To many, no doubt, of John's followers that have been engaging in this debate in the prior verses that we looked at last Sunday, or two Sundays ago. They regarded John as really the greatest. They, they were loyal followers of their guy, their preacher. And John says, you, you don't understand, Christ is above all, and that includes me. And in fact, I, I'm here. Guys, don't you remember? My, my whole calling in life is to work myself out of a job. I'm just here to pave the way. And once the way is paved, I am expendable. I am no longer needed because He who is greater has come. He is from above and therefore is above all. In light of Christ's excellency, in light of Christ's superiority, even the greatest man must decrease so that the Son is increased in the sight of everyone. That there's no longer a competing affection to look at. That that we're quite literally taken out of the picture completely. One of the things that I miss is now that my boys are older, I miss coaching. I miss coaching those those little bitty years, you know? This is a ball. Those years. And you know what's funny about those little kids at that age? They have two competing affections. They've got the ball... And they got mom and dad over in the stands. And they do something and they immediately turn around to look for that that applause. That commendation. And most of the time the ball goes rolling right by them. John says, listen, my job, your job is to decrease so that nobody is tempted to look at anything else other than what really matters. You're to to be so little thought of that they don't even remember you existed. It is Christ alone that matters. He is above all because He is from above. Now, notice what John goes on to say. He says, in contrast, you and I are from the earth 
And we speak of the earth. Because we are of the earth. Three times. One short sentence. Do you get it? Do you you see the difference? Above all of the earth. Guys, above all of the earth. You get it now? Above all of the earth. Three times. There is a limitation to us, guys. You are so severely limited, you don't even know it. The sky's not the limit, human being. The earth is. Isn't it funny how we, well, you can be anything you want to be. Sky's the limit. And if we're honest with it, no, it's not. And no, you can't. I understand what you're trying to say, but it's not true. If we're going to hold words literally, that is not the case. You are of the earth, You speak of the earth because you are from the earth. Got it? Remember who you are and remember who He is. You cannot be or do anything your fallen mind sets its sight upon because like the people at the Tower of Babel, hey, we got a great idea. We got stuff. We got the sun. We'll slap it all together, make bricks, and we will become like... No, you can't. No, you won't. That's why I'm telling you, guys, we must decrease because of where we're from. At the end of the day, we are still of the earth. Even the greatest of men are still of the earth. And hey, by the way, and if you haven't noticed, we return to the earth. The greatest, we say it this way, don't we? And it conveys a lot of truth in the way that we say it. He was one of the greatest men who ever lived. Notice the tense of the verb that you use there. Past. But we, as we look at the Son of God, I remember my dad used to sing this song all the time when I was a kid. I serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living. Not lived. Living. Whatever men may say. No wonder we must decrease. Christ must increase. We are completely different types of beings here. What John is communicating is clear. It's what theologians call the doctrine of God's aseity or His independence. God needs nothing. He is dependent upon nothing. He is alone in Himself, self-existent, unique. He is transcendent above everything. He needs nothing. We need everything. Not God. He's altogether unique. He is from above and He is above all. And fallen men reject this just as they have to John in the previous verses. They're pushing back on this. Men want Jesus who is at the same level that they are. That, that, that's when we get the, 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 the grotesque 
twisting of who Jesus is. That's why we get the blasphemous lack of reverence for who Jesus is. Men want equals, not a superior. That's our pride talking. It's hard to hear that you must decrease. Why? You are an idol maker. That's why. So am I. So are all of us born into Adam's race. Notice how John completes that verse, that first verse. He who comes from heaven is above all. Oh, how that grates against human nature. He's above all. If you believe that Jesus can be just like you, and yet somehow still save you, what you are saying in essence is then that you are actually capable of saving yourself. After all, we're just the same. Oh, I would never say it that way. Oh, but didn't you just? If we want a Jesus who's equal to us, a Jesus who's so much like us, aren't you saying then that those two things being equal, you have power to save? John says this is why we must get out of the way. We cannot save. Christ alone who is from above saves. For Jesus to save, Jesus has to be above. Because what is below cannot save. You are from the earth. Therefore you get what earth can give you. One commentator said this, that ministers speak as from heaven, but not are not of heaven. We speak as from heaven when we proclaim God's word, but we are not from heaven. He goes on to say this, Christ therefore wishes to be acknowledged in his ministers, but in such a manner that, that he may remain the only Lord and that they may be satisfied with the rank of servants. But especially when a comparison is made, he wishes to be so distinguished that he alone may be exalted. Yes. That's it. John the Baptist says, listen, I'm nothing and I know I'm nothing. Christ is everything. Coming from that place of authority and power coming from heaven itself, where life has been issued from, where creation has been spoken from, Christ coming from that place. He speaks as no man can, men are of the earth, and He is excellent because of that source from which He springs forth. Which leads us then to the excellency of Christ's message. Verse 32, what he has seen and heard of that, he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. Yet he who has received his testimony has set a seal to this, that God is true. Think about that for a moment. When Jesus came to the earth, he came from that place, that source of authority. And he has seen things in being there. Imagine what Jesus has seen. 
Think about what the Son of God has seen. Think about the worship and the angels that He's heard. Think about His position in the Trinity when God spoke everything that is into existence by the Word of His power. Jesus is there. He sees it happen. He has watched the Old Testament transpire. He has seen it from heaven's vantage point, from heaven's perspective. Oh, He has seen it all. Very literally, seen it all. And John says that's where the authority comes from. Not only the source, the place where He comes from, but His his experience in that He has seen it, and now He says it. It's an interesting twist here. It's a Christ has seen as in the fulfilled, perfect sense of the word the verb there he has seen it it's done it it is a complete knowledge he's seen it all and yet what he hears seems to be ongoing because christ is though on earth is still hearing from his father still communing with his father it's an ongoing reality He's seen heaven. He's been in heaven. And yet even here, he continues that connection to his father, hearing from him. Have you seen what Jesus has seen? No heavenly tourism. But have you seen what Jesus has seen? Have you seen it from the vantage point that he has seen it from? No one has seen what Christ has seen and lives to tell about it. Nobody. Nobody. However, Jesus in His pre-incarnate state has seen those things that are beyond earthly possibilities. On earth, He continues to bear witness to those things, to hear from His Father, to commune with His Father. No wonder He must increase and we must decrease. It's the Father speaking to you. It's the Father Controlling you, the Father commissioning you in the same way that He did Christ? No, not a chance. His message has come from on high. It continues to come from on high. And rather than be intimidated by that, rather than bristle against against that, shouldn't we rejoice in that? That a God like that would come so near. So close. So tender. So caring. He has come so near. And He has come from so far and so different a place than us. Notice the contrast. What He has seen and heard of that He testifies. We ought to rejoice, but what do men do? What do carnal, fleshly, sinful, natural men do? They do not receive His testimony. Hey guys, this is what I've seen. This is what I know to be true. Hey, listen to me. 
Even God coming down, speaking from heaven, and telling the disciples, this is My beloved Son. Listen to Him. What a sharp contrast. Men become the very source of rejecting this. What should have made men glad turns men away. Goes back to John chapter 1, doesn't it? In verses 10 and 11, Jesus made all things. He came into the world that He created. He came into His own, His own creation. More specifically, His own Jewish people. And His own did not receive Him. Now notice what John says here in verse 32. And no one, does John mean that nobody's going to be saved? That's... Not what he's saying. He's using hyperbole to make a point. Men in general do not receive who Christ is, nor what Christ said. And that's a heartbreaking reality, but it is the truth. Men generally reject Christ, even in the final analysis. Men as a whole, mankind as a whole, has rejected. Certainly all of us are born rejecting. Because of our sin, we are not right with God. Most continue in that rejection. Why? Look at verses, go back just a few verses, would you? Verse 20 and 21. For everyone who does evil hates the light. That's capital L, that is Jesus Christ. Hate the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. Why, why, why do men not come to the light? Because they love darkness. They love evil deeds. That's why what he testifies, no one receives. Let's move on to verse 33. Verse 33, those who do receive His testimony have set His seal to this, that God is true. We move now from the excellency of Jesus' message, having seen and heard all that is true, to the excellency of Jesus' commission that He gives. It is true what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. No one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And conversely true, no man can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? No one will say or can say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit causes them to be able to say that. It can't happen unless God moves, unless God works. And so for a man to say that God is true says something about the man and how the Spirit of God has worked upon him just as it is with even John the Baptist. He has testified that God is true by receiving the words of Christ. John the Baptist has received the words of Jesus. He, he has received that Jesus is the Son of God and in so doing has testified that God is true. 
I want you to notice something interesting. It may be something you would have read over rather quickly. It's easy to do that. But I want you to notice the end of verse 33. He says it's not that he believes what God says is true. He believes what? God is true. James flips it on it flips it or I'm sorry John flips it the other way in his epistle first John when we say that we have no sin we make what God a liar and his truth is not in us the, the, the same is true when we confess what God says is true what Jesus has told us is true when we say that we say God you are true not just what you've said is true you are true you are not a liar It denigrates his character to lack faith like this. But but he that receives what the Son says, being from above, he bears testimony to this. God himself is true. I believe God. I don't believe in God. I don't believe about God. I don't believe God when he speaks and sometimes where he speaks. No, I just believe God. The entirety of who he is. Again, words are only as authoritative and meaningful as the identity, the position of the person who says them. And Jesus is from above. Jesus comes proclaiming the truth. And when we do not receive what He says, we are saying, God, You are a liar. The converse is true. When we receive it, we set our seal to this. God is true. Hopefully your mind's fast-forwarding many chapters yet to come. John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Yet the world, by and large, mocks God to His face, calling Him a liar by rejecting His very words. Jesus is the Word of God. John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then John goes on for the rest of this gospel and shows us how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. What glory? The glory of God. Christ Jesus is that Word. The Word. And to reject that is to reject God, to call Him a liar. D.A. Carson writes this, Jesus so completely says and does all that God says and does and only what God says and does, that to believe Jesus is to believe God. Conversely, not to believe Jesus is to call God a liar. Go over one chapter, would you, or two chapters to John chapter 5. Beginning in verse 19, Jesus is again in a tight scrape with the Pharisees and 
Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to those uh, to whom he wishes. For not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son. You see, to receive the Son, and what the Son says is to receive the Father, and to verify and validate the Father as true. All of God's prophets, all of God's prophets spoke with an unction from God, an empowerment from God. Look at verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. All of the Old Testament prophets had preached and spoken of God with an unction and a power from God, literally sent by God. And and that is true, they spoke with an element of the Spirit about them. But now the Son, the final and the greatest prophet sent from God, possesses the Spirit. Notice how John says it. He possesses the Spirit without measure. You thought John the Baptist was great? You've seen nothing. You thought Isaiah was great? You've seen nothing. You thought Ezekiel was something? You've seen nothing until you see and hear from the Son. For the Son possesses the very Spirit of God with no limitations. The other were but men speaking. The other were but men like Jonah who could fail and rebel against God. The others were men who would speak in fear and and yet get the job done. But the Son speaks with the Spirit without measure. That is why He must increase and I must decrease. He's a far better preacher than I will ever be, John says. There's nothing any preacher worth his salt loves to do more than open the Word of God and explain the Word of God. It's what what you live for if you're a preacher. But by the same token, any preacher worth his salt lives for the day when he will no longer have to preach. Because the one, the greatest one, will be exalted face to face. The one to whom the Spirit without measure was given. The one who is the very embodiment of truth itself. John says he's here. And it's time for me to ride into the sunset. So that this Christ might be magnified by this commission he has received He has the Spirit without measure. He will be preaching and speaking the Word of God more so than anyone else ever has. This goes back to the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on Him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and strength. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Isaiah 61, 1, The spirit of the Lord is the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. You remember Jesus actually preaches this text in Luke chapter 4. Can you imagine Jesus preaching that? You've never heard a sermon like that. When Jesus opens the Old Testament and He begins to preach His own Word, the one with whom the Spirit resides without measure, wow! It's clear Jesus' baptism, going back to the beginning of John, in John chapter 1, verse 29, Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends upon Him. And we have that great Trinitarian formula. The Father speaking, the Son submitting, and the Spirit uh, indwelling and coming upon Him. The Father has given everything to the Son. And He has said, in doing so, I am well pleased in that. Because in who the Son is, salvation comes. Because of that, salvation comes. F.F. F. Bruce, many years ago, wrote and he said this of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect spokesman. He is from heaven. He has seen heaven. And now he comes to earth and he speaks of what he has seen and heard, and He does so with the Spirit empowering Him with no limitations. He's endowed with everything that makes Him perfect. It makes Him perfect. I one time had a professor ask a question in class. First day of class, he walked in. He said, students, I have a question. Who's your favorite preacher? Oh, you know, we went around the room. Oh, you know, I love this guy. I love to listen to this guy. I love to listen to this guy and this guy. And he said, you know what? I love all those guys too. How come none of you said Jesus? He's the one that preaches in the power of the Spirit without measure. What a Savior. And because He is who He is, and because He preaches as He does, there is a necessary response to His more excellent nature and His more excellent person. And that begins in verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. The Son is given. The Son is sent from His position in heaven for one of two reasons. And every human being that's ever been born finds himself in verse 36. There's no third way. It's one or the other. He either receives life because he believes in him or judgment because he has rejected him. If you have accepted Jesus as the one sent from heaven, 
as God in the flesh speaking of what He has seen and what He has heard and testifies. And you have believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. You have life. But it's not your life, it's His life. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live, and yet it is not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. That's, That's one response. The other half is disturbing. He says, he who does not obey the Son. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about belief. We are. We are. Because believing in Jesus is not optional. It's not optional. It's not optional for us to say this morning, if you're here this morning and you've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you've not believed God, you've not believed the truth that He has revealed, this is not optional for you. Belief is not something you're invited to. Belief is something you are commanded to. When Jesus preached with the Spirit without measure the gospel of Himself and of His mission, He said this, Believe, imperative command. Repent and believe. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't sit around and invite people to anything. He commanded. He summoned. That's why John speaks the way he speaks. Yes, you believe unto life, or you disobey unto death. Your disobedience is revealed in your unbelief. Your rebellion is unbelief. Jesus' stature, He came from one above, a sovereign King, and He demands that all men everywhere repent and believe. It's laughable what passes as evangelism now. We we invite people to, you know, trust Jesus like you're joining a social club. Like you're signing up for some new service. We don't preach like the apostles preached. We certainly don't preach like Jesus preached. That's how John the Baptist preached. This is not optional. You must be born again. You must believe. It's not impotent begging. It is sovereign commanding. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How, how did, the, how did the, the apostles in Acts chapter 16, when the Philippian jailer is rattled to his core, he says, what must I do to be saved? Well, we'd like to invite you to maybe somehow, you know, consider, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Nothing impotent about that kind of preaching, is there? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John says there is 
a great blessing to those who receive what has been said and God sets His seal on them as having validated that God is true. God is true. But there are those who disobey. They refuse to believe. Why? Because that type of belief results in diminished self. Christ becomes so great, you have no greater joy than to diminish yourself and exalt Christ. John wasn't going back to his disciples saying, hey guys, we need to put on a PR campaign here. I mean, we need a political campaign advisor. We're losing followers. We've got to get the numbers up. We've got to compete. We've got to get back in the arena. I mean, Jesus is getting a bigger following. What is John doing? Oh, he's just rejoicing that his day's over. And a greater day has come. He must increase. I must decrease. Why? Heart of belief. He's no longer under judgment. He is living. He has been pronounced free. He has eternal life. But make no mistake about it, John records, he who does not obey. The, what, what command? What am I supposed to obey? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe what He says. And if you do not, the wrath of God abides on you. Why? You called God a liar. You see, that's, that's where our culture has, church culture I should say, has varied so greatly. We look at unbelief as just, well, they didn't take it. Pity on them. No, no, they didn't just not take the offer of the gospel. They didn't just not obey the command to believe the gospel. They called God a liar in so doing. That is a serious charge. And the wrath of God because of that abides on you. You have lied about God. You have accused God of lying. You have rejected the message of His Son that He sent to be believed. And this is now Him with whom you have to deal. Unless you repent and believe. This is what has been proclaimed. This is, this is the darkness that broaches the light in verses 19 and 20. This is the, the height of darkness that we call God a liar by disobeying the command to believe. You must believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He lived in your place. A righteous life without sin. Perfectly Willingly obeying every jot and tittle of the law. He laid down His life for you. He didn't have any sin He had to pay for. Therefore, He could take your sin and He takes it to the cross and He allows God to punish Him on the cross fully for your sin that you might never know the wrath of God. To be laid in a tomb that He might be raised up out of it because He was perfect in all that He did. 
Believe that. Believe that. Jesus is not an equal to be considered. He's not an equal to be shunned if you don't like what He says. Jesus is an excellent Savior. An authoritative Savior. God of very God who must be obeyed. And that obedience starts simply with this. Belief. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Saved from what? The last phrase. The wrath of God. The wrath of God. We don't like to talk about it. But it's coming. It, 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 it's even here now. Oh, not like it's going to be. But you know, Paul gave a startling statement to those religious Jews in Romans chapter 2. He accuses them that the, 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 the indictment is that they had made little of the long-suffering nature of God and had not believed. What do you think little of the long-suffering nature of God? He says, in doing that, here's what you've done. You've stored up wrath upon wrath for the day of wrath. By not believing. Wrath multiplied by wrath multiplied by wrath. I don't know your heart. Only God knows your heart. God knows it better than you know it. Because the heart is deceitful. But if there is anyone here this morning that has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't believe what John has been speaking about this whole time. The wrath of God is on you. Flee from the wrath to come by believing. Not mocking. Not calling God a liar. Not disobeying in unbelief. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, this is why we must decrease and You must increase. You are to be feared. You are to be believed. Father, help us. Help us to find ourselves in a position that we believe that we celebrate, that we rejoice in who You are and rejoice in our own diminishing. You alone save, but You don't save as an equal. You save as an exclusive, excellent, authoritative sovereign who stands alone by Himself. So that no flesh will ever boast in Your presence we will say only God did this. God did this. 
And so, Father, remove the boasting of unbelief from those who are living in that reality and grant to them hearts to believe this morning that they may confess that Jesus Christ alone saves. They would rest in that. They would rejoice in that. Even though it means they diminish and He increases in their lives. For those who believe, Father, give us a heart to continue that path of diminishing while You are increasing. And we'll look forward to the day when You bring us safely home to see You enthroned in all of Your glory with our own eyes. But until then, grant us faith to see it with the eyes of faith that You are He. You are who You said You are. And because of that, You can do what You say You will do. And that is to save those who believe. We love You and we praise You for these truths. Seal them now to our heart, Holy Spirit, as we leave this place. For we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.